You are listening to the Catholic Recon Podcast, testimonies from Catholic reverts and converts. I'm your host, Eddie Trask. Don't forget to leave a review and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Catholic Recon, testimonies from reverts and converts. I'm your host, Eddie Trask. Don't forget to subscribe and share these testimonies from Catholic brothers and sisters. This week's guest is a revert, a fellow revert, David Martinez. Thank you for being here, David. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me on the show. I've been looking forward to it. As you know, I mean, I've just been sick with one thing after another. So it just seems like everything is trying to come against the show. But we know that the greater one indwells us. And by the grace of God, I'm just hoping to reach people and let him know that the Catholic Church does have the fullness of truth. Beautiful. And before we get into it, I do want to mention your website for everyone that is interested. So David, and he'll get into this as an apologist, it's 2 Corinthians 515.com. So 2 Corinthians 515.com. And again, we'll get into that. But David, I'm assuming, like me, being a revert, your story starts at a very, very young age. Yeah. And let me just tell you what that scripture says. Yeah. Second Corinthians 5.15. It's really one of my favorite. It said, he died for all that those that live should no longer live for themselves, but live for the one who died and rose again for them. And I could truthfully say this in clean conscience. If there was no purgatory and there was no heaven, and thank God for purgatory, and thank God for heaven, because I want to see the face of God. I still would serve God. I still would love God, because God is worthy of all our praise and all our adoration, because he's God. And that's the place we need to come to as Catholics, not just serving God for what we can get from him, but yielding our life totally to God, that he might be able to use us, as Scripture says, as an instrument of righteousness to win people to the truth. So I'll start out. My dad is from Columbia, South America. His mom is from Lebanon. My mom is 100% Romanian, so I would take more the characteristics of my father and his family. So my dad grew up Catholic, but yet really never lived his faith, just like most of my family. My great-great-grandfather was a Catholic priest, but not a chaste Catholic priest. That's why I have the last name. Martinez. My great-great-grandfather was one of the most rich, he was one of the richest men in Columbia, South America. The president of the United States went to see him. He had a kid out of wedlock. My dad's dad was an alcoholic, very wealthy, and raised my dad and his brothers in a way that when my dad was 12 years old, he would pay for them to go to prostitutes. So I grew up in a home that didn't really have a lot of morality. My mom's mom was Christian Baptist. She really lived sold out. And I'll get into that later. And so we didn't go to church. I was baptized, confirmed, all that. I went to Catholic school, seven, eight, nine, and 10. Religion was like my favorite topic. It was the easiest class for me. I got like the highest grades you can get. And one time I even thought about being a priest. So say all that to say this. My aunt and nun is a Franciscan mother. 
and she passed away now. So she came to visit us for over a year. So when she came to visit us, she wanted my dad to put us in Catholic school, and she paid for it, even though she's supposed to take a vow of poverty because her father was so wealthy and left her so much money, my great-grandfather, and she gave to church, they let her keep money. So she sent us to Catholic school. I got my first communion late, maybe like 11 years old. I can't remember. Uh -huh. And so I, I, I went to Catholic school, got my first communion. And uh, so my aunt was there. So we went to church on a regular basis. My aunt and nun left. And then, you know, we went to church sporadically. And then my grandma, who was Protestant, you know, I would go to the Protestant church and then go to the Catholic church. But this is what's really crazy, brother. My grandma, who was Protestant, and I know salvation is of the Catholic church, and I want to get everybody that's not Catholic in the Catholic church. But all the nuns and all the priests, including my Franciscan mother, aunt, never tried to convert my grandma to the faith. My aunt said to none, if my grandma didn't make heaven, nobody can make it. What an indictment against Catholics that they would look at somebody Protestant and think that they're walking in such a high level that they don't even want to try to convert them. And so I said all that to say this. So we were in and out, up and down. And then, you know, I was in martial arts at one time training for the Olympics. I, I've been a fighter like all my life. I'm Hispanic. And the schools I went to were extremely prejudiced, so I had to fight a lot. And then I grew up in a family where they gave me Playboy, penthouse porn, VHS movies, everything that came out, my dad would give us. So at a very young age, I was bound to perversion and, and just bound by it. And ended up eventually in early 20s, God completely delivered me from that. But in early high school, like maybe ninth grade, I, I got away from the faith and I just start following, you know, the Protestant movement. And so then maybe like 10th or 11th grade, I come back to the Catholic Church. So I go to the charismatic movement. Uh, my dad has me engage a, a priest that apparently didn't know apologetics because I made him look bad quoting scripture, even though they weren't properly quoted. And he would just say, well, we believe this, we believe that. But he never gave me a foundation of the church fathers, of the scriptures, of the historicity of the church. So I left thinking, man, it's, it's a joke. And, but I really never wanted to leave, brother. I, I wanted to be a strong Catholic. But the priests I knew were modernists. Some of them were sleeping around with my best friends. Other ones, you know, were gay. And we just don't live in a good diocese. So I left the church. I hated the church. I felt like the church let me down and eventually went off to college, studied apologetics, theology, and all that, and, and just had a passion to win people to truth. I preached on college campuses all over the U.S. I worked with the worst gangs in the nation. I've had guns pulled on me. I've been in riots. So after college, I met somebody I married them that was out of the church. Found out later, the woman never loved me. We had three kids together and ended up like 24 years, 23 years into it. She goes to California. She leaves me and she takes my three kids. And 
I'll tell you this. If, if I believed that you could kill yourself and make heaven, I would have done it. I never went through so much pain. I never felt like God let me down more than he did it. I felt that time. And I mean, I love my kids and, and all the rest. And, and they were really good, very intelligent, very good Protestants. My oldest daughter went to college, took church, the Old Testament church history, never cracked the book. And, and she pretty much, she aced the class. So she left. And before that, I go back a little. I worked with every major denomination in one way or another. I had their books in my library. I have a library of six to 10,000 books. And I went from this group to that group, but I was an ultra conservative. I never believed in the altar call. I, I've done a whole series refuting the altar call, why it's wrong. Wait, wait, you know, wait, wait, wait. Let, let me interject right there. You said you went from group to group and you did not, you never believed in an altar call. What do you mean no, group to group? Are you talking about denominations? I mean, denom I, Assemblies of God, Pentecost, the Word of Faith, Methodist, Anabaptist. Uh, just name the group, dude. Somehow, whether I preached in the churches or we preached on the street, I was a street preacher. And so, and also I, I, I headed up a program. I helped head up a program in a college doing evangelism, and it was a Mennonite school. So I would take them out on the weekend, teach them evangelism. I was at Ohio State eight years, and, and I did evangelism there. And then I traveled throughout the U.S. I worked with homosexual groups. Anybody that you could think of that I could engage, I engaged. So in that time, that's what I did as a Protestant minister and apologist. But yet, as I kept going to these churches, there was just something that maybe I thought, well, I agree here, I disagree there, I agree with this other one. And after time, I just became completely disheartened. I stopped going to church completely. So I would have Bible study at the house or not have Bible study. And it just seemed like, man, where do I fit? Where is the truth? See, yeah. this has always been my desire is to know the truth, no matter what that truth costs me. And so little by little, I started changing and started progressing towards Catholicism. So ended up, I studied the early church fathers. That's my expertise. And you can't deny that the early church fathers were radical and the Eucharist is not even an option. They were unanimous all the way until you get to Luther. There was one deacon in the early church that had a little, you know, lapse on the Eucharist, but he came back to truth. And so I started to see that the Eucharist was true and I'm out of the church. And, and then there was somebody on Facebook that I was friends with and that person was like the Catholic that I always thought a Catholic should be. I mean, based on what they watched, what they listened to, went to daily mass, never cussed. I mean, just, you know, so I started to change my view. And I started to believe, well, maybe a Catholic really could make heaven and still be an idolater because they're ignorant. And then little by little, little by little, I started to see well, if the Eucharist is true, maybe this is true, maybe that's true. And that individual was praying for me. And so we became really good friends. And so ended up, one day I said, even though I lived in Ohio and that individual lived in California, I said, let's just start praying the rosary. 
And so three months before I go back to confession to come back to the Catholic Church, I'm praying the rosary every day. So Mary is just like full of my chain. And ended up one day I, I go to this church and I talk to the priest and I just wept. I still had questions about Mary and a few other things, but I knew the Eucharist was true and I had to have that Eucharist again. And so I, I went, went to confession, got the Eucharist again, and my life was forever changed. And then I went from one parish to another, and eventually I went to a Latin mass parish, and I was eventually the staff apologist for the parish for over two years. And so like my articles were really radical and hardcore because whatever I do, it's all the way or not at all. And people were reading those articles in the parish, out of the parish, Catholics, non-Catholics. And, you know, it was just really awesome. I would rather communicate than write. And I am working on some books now. So the church really stretched me in writing these articles. But yet, not only do I write articles apologetically to show people why the Catholic Church is true, but I also write articles to show people what the scriptures teach based on the teaching of the Catholic Church, how to live the Catholic life. So I go in to like the Greek, Koine Greek of the New Testament, and then I go into the historical meaning of the Greek as it was understood in that culture and how they understood it, then I break it up, and then I share how that scripture and that word meaning relates to us. And I always make sure that it lines up with the teachings and the ways of Catholic Church. And I run it through priests. I run it through friends. I run it through theologians. And thank God as of yet, nobody's like, call me a heretic or rebuke me or said, man, where did you come up with that? I mean, because I so want to know the truth. And in that long, over 25 years of of being a Protestant apologist and minister, over 30 years leaving the church, that hunger for truth and righteousness just sent me here, sent me there. And when I came back to the faith, I, I, I was sharing, there's a guy from, a, I forget that organization in Zanesville, where they interview people that came to Catholicism or reverts. Oh, Journey Home? Journey Home? Okay, Journey Home. There's a guy there, I can't remember his name offhand, and he worked there and we became friends. So one day I just wept and wept and wept and like, man, I wasted my time, all this study, all this that I've done, and, and now I come back to the Catholic Church. It was such a waste. And then he encouraged me and then tons of priests and, and apologists and all the rest said that God brought me back, even though it never was the will of God that I left. But God in his sovereignty, it can use this because not only did I work with all these denominations, but I have their books in my library and I studied their teaching. So I know how to rebuttal them. I know what their mindset is and I know what they believe theologically because I studied it. And so now it helps me to better understand how to refute somebody and how to challenge them. So when I do debate somebody or I do meet somebody that left the Catholic Church, which it seems like pretty constantly, 
lately, I meet people that left the Catholic Church. And, yeah. you know, they're like a yeah. deacon or an elder, or they go to a Pentecostal church, or they just completely fell away. And so then they start to talk to me about Scripture. That's one thing that I could truthfully say that being Protestant gave me a lot of, I spent a lot of time in Scripture. So I, I know a lot of Scripture to memory. And then when I came back to the Catholic Church, it was like, and I started to understand the teaching of Scripture, then Scripture really made sense to me even more. And so when I would do Bible study with our priest, he would say, David brings the Bible to our Bible study. Because no matter where he went, somehow God quickened Scripture and revelation and truth to me that I was able to show that what we do believe is found in Scripture. And you know this, brother, that we believe in Scripture, ministerium, and tradition. But even my priest told me in seminary, they taught him, Scripture, we believe all of them are binding. But Scripture really has the highest authority because ministerium and tradition sit through Scripture. They can never, they interpret Scripture, but they can never change Scripture because it's set in stone. So see, a lot of Protestants believe that Catholics are not people of the Scripture, but we are, and we know, and, 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 and God used the Catholic Church to bring the Scriptures. And Jerome says, ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. And that's what I would like to challenge every Catholic to know, to study the Scriptures, to fall madly in love with it, because the top theologians and the top doctors of the Church were people that knew the teachings of Scripture and ministerium and tradition. And, and the reason that a lot of people end up like me leaving the Catholic Church is because we really don't know our faith. And when I left the Catholic Church 30-some, three, four years ago, whatever it was, I went to a bookstore. <laughs> Brother, that Catholic bookstore may be at 20 books. I got more books on this top shelf than they had in the whole bookstore. So I went in there looking for books to help me in my faith, and I couldn't find any. So now, you know, I'm sure there was then, I know there was, but I didn't know where to find them. And so what I'm saying is, people, if they really knew, like Pentecostals, they were miracles, power, gifts. There's more gifts and more power in the Catholic Church, in the saints, than any Pentecostal false movement could ever dream of having. And if people really knew the saints and the depth of the Catholic Church, and even now, brother, coming back to the Catholic Church, I know bishops and priests. I know one priest that told me the Bible's a joke recently. When I came back to the faith, I went to confession with him, and I said, hey, you know my mom, I'm a revert, and I've come back to the Catholic faith. He goes, I feel sorry for you. This is a Catholic priest, bro. He believes that the Bible's a joke. He believes the gay's okay. Everybody goes to heaven. There are some really good priests and theologians. But let's just be truthful. There are some people that are trying to destroy the Catholic Church, and there are people that are preaching things that are contrary to truth. And the reason that I'm in the church and could never leave the church is because I've dug deep. It doesn't matter what he says or they say or what this PhD, Bishop or Cardinal says, if that doesn't line up with scripture, ministerium, and tradition, I'm not going to follow it. 
And so I'm challenging Catholics to dig deep. Even if you don't have a massive library like I do, you could go on your phone and say, hey, what's the Catholic Church teach on abortion? What's the Catholic Church teach on pornography? That's you right. cannot believe yep. the ability that we have. Well, you could find that a good conservative priest. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say several things here because you're making some tremendous points. First of all, I want to get the context here. When did you come back to the church? What year was that? Okay. Now, right, let's just say it's going on seven years. So what year would that be? 50, 2015? Yeah, 2015, 2016. So okay. I said all that about the person that ended up witnessing to me and praying for me. My goal was to win them to the faith. And one day I asked God, I said, and God used me, even though I was Protestant, uh, priests have said that the gifts that I received in confirmation, for whatever reason, God let me have some of these gifts. Even if, I saw so many people healed and so many people set free from addiction, even when I was Protestant. Well, I asked God one day, I said, hey, is this person going to ever come to faith? Protestant, he said, they'll never leave the faith. Well, that person kept praying for me. And that person now is my wife, Christina. So I'm 58 years old, bro. I have going to be four next month, and I have a 19-month-old. She lived it, talked it. We were best friends. That woman already divorced me. And, you know, she was in the process of annulment. The guy that she was with cheated on her from the beginning all the way to the end and ended up meeting a woman at a massage parlor. So, I mean, it was just a bad situation. So, even though when Christina lived in California and I lived in Ohio, there was not a day that went by that we didn't, via, you know, our phones, do the rosary. So, almost seven years later, next month we'll be married five years, we still have never not prayed the rosary. Even if I've traveled to another state or been somewhere else, we'll, we'll Skype or we'll do the rosary by phone. And so I do right now with my wife two rosaries a day, and on Saturday I do three. So, and this is what bothers me, less than 13% of professing Catholics pray the rosary on a daily basis. When Mary of Fatima told us to pray the rosary, and the rosary can change the world, the rosary changed me. If you would talk to my mom and dad, and ask them, would David ever, before I came back to the faith, they would say, there's no way. My brother-in-law is wealthy. He's an executive, lives in a monster house, drives an Escalade. He said he would have given all the money that he has that David could never come back to faith. I hated the faith, not the faith that's true, but the faith that I thought was true, the faith that was being propagated to me in a modernist school by people that were not really embracing or following the faith. The school I went to, we had nuns and priests. That school right now has no nuns and no priests. And a couple years back, there's a priest that visits, and I talked to him, and he's okay with gay. That school even has transsexual kids in the school, and he told me he's a modernist. And so what I'm saying is I'm telling people out there that are Protestant like I was. You're not coming to the Catholic Church because everybody's perfect. I was in the Protestant Church, and statistically, 
there's more pedophilia in the Protestant church than there is in the Catholic. And that's a statistical fact, and I have the facts. There's more, a kid is more likely to be sexually abused in a school than they ever would be in a church. So what I'm saying is Jesus and his church are one. Don't chuck the church because people are not living up to the standard and not embracing the graces and the power of God to live an overcoming life. And the more that I see things that are taking place in the church that you and I, I'm sure, would disagree with, when 70 to 80 percent of the people that profess to be Catholic don't believe in transubstantiation, it fires me up, brother, to know my faith deeper, to dig deeper, to pray more, to engage more, to write more, and to speak the truth more. Even when I was Protestant, I had people put guns on me. I've had people threaten to kill me. And, and I've been in riots and walked out without a mark. God spared my life to bring me back for such a time as this. And if I was willing to die as a Protestant for what I believe, even though it was wrong, yeah. how much yeah. more am I willing to die for the faith that we have today? And most of us will probably never be martyrs, but the word martyr comes from the Greek. To, it means to be a witness. We need to be willing to lay down our life, pick up our cross, and live for God and make a difference. Like I shared with you earlier when we were speaking, my neighbor to the right of me was the head of St. Vincent de Paul for 20 years. <laughs> he fights with me, the gay's okay, and just a bunch of other stuff. My neighbor here is 80-some years old. She said that when she was in the Catholic Church, the priest told her, you can't use birth control. She told me that she's not going to have kids like a rabbit. The woman across from me is probably one of the meanest women I've ever met in my life. She's Catholic. The guy beside that, beside her, is from Italy. His dad was going to be a priest, and he doesn't go to Mass because his mom's happy with him, so he doesn't care what God says. One day, you are going to stand before God, and you're going to have to know the truth and follow the truth. If you listen to that message, a fewness of the saved, have you ever heard it? Say it again. It's called The Fewness of the Saved. No. Who wrote it? Okay, look it up. It was, it was uh, I, I forget his name. He was a saint in the Catholic Church. That message will scare the hell out of you. He talks about visions and revelations and scripture. I would have given anything to be there when he was speaking and sharing this message. And he talks about that, that the saints... 30,000 people died, and the saints said three people made heaven and two people made purgatory. And then he just gives you scripture after scripture showing you, even when he was around hundreds of years, that the bishops and cardinals were compromised. But then he goes in and he talks about the second half, the grace and the love of God and how God's giving us all the ability to make heaven our home, and he gives you hope again. What I'm saying is, when it talks about few and many, we have people that believe the teaching of Balthasar. I got every book that I could get on Balthasar. I could probably teach a graduate program on him. Balthasar believed that all the warnings of Jesus in the Gospels were prior to the resurrection, so therefore they have no meaning now. And that's how he gets around. We can have a hope that all go to heaven. The reality is every Catholic can make heaven their home 
but the Bible says to enter and to strive. And that word strive in the Greek is where we get the English word for agonize. But it says in Philippians chapter 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And Catholics love to quote that and even priests. But the context of it says, it's got in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. When we make heaven, if we make heaven, the Council of Trent teaches it's fully the grace of God. But see, Calvinists believe you can't resist the grace of God. We know from the teachings of the church, scripture, ministerium, and tradition that you can resist that grace. That's the difference. And that's why if we make heaven a home, in the book of Revelation, it says, when we stand before God, we take our crowns and we throw them at his feet because we realize that if we did anything of any eternal value, it was fully God and not us. It says in Titus 2, 11 and 12, the grace of God teaches us godliness to deny worldly lust, to live sober and righteous in this present age. Through the grace of God, we can overcome every obstacle and every sin. First John 4 and 4 says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I use this analogy of football is small, but the interior pressure of that football is greater than the exterior weight of all those football players. And you may feel like the minority if you stand strong for the Catholic faith, but realize that Christ is in you, that the saints are looking down upon you, as it says in Hebrews 11 and 12, such a great cloud of witness, and they're encouraging us and saying, let's go for it. And another thing that I see in the life of the saints, they live with an eternal perspective. They cried. They asked God to show them eternity. And when people looked at their life, they saw a distinction. They saw that they realized that they were just passing through. And my prayer for me, my family, for all those listening, God to etch eternity upon our eyes, etch eternity upon our hearts, that we live in such a way that when people see us, that they realize that it's not us. As Paul said, we're living epistles, word of all men, but they see that it's Christ through us, that Christ, dude, I can't believe how God changed me, delivered me from porn, delivered me from a life of fighting, delivered me from vulgarity and the ways and the things of the world. Jesus reached down as low as he can reach, pulled out a guy named David Martinez, and if he could do something with me, I'm fully persuaded he can do it with you. I'm challenging everybody that's watching this video that has left the Catholic Church, dig deep. Go find out what the church father said. Go find out what the great saint, saint said. Go get some good catechesis and study it and dig deep and, and study the doctors of the church. And if you do, I am fully persuaded that you'll see that the teachings of the church are fully in line with the scripture. And I'm tired of Protestants saying, oh, we only believe in scripture alone. That's why Protestants go to seminary and they spend six and eight years in study. That's why a lot of Protestant ministers have libraries bigger than mine. They don't go by scripture alone. They're following somebody. They're following Luther, Calvin. They're following Wesley. They're following some Pentecostal leader, but they're not following the church's teaching. Everybody is being affected with the truth from somebody, but you need to find out if the truth that people are telling you is truly true, or it's something that's made up by man. And yeah. I've oh, been in heavy movement. That's a great point. No, no, no. I want to, um, several things. My goodness. 
you've got uh, you've got scripture quotes uh, galore here. Um, you mentioned something, and you have to remind me who it was in your family, or several people in your family did not want to convert or didn't want to talk to a Protestant. Who remind me? Who was that in the family? There was a Protestant that they said, "Okay, everything's okay." I give you the example. Yeah, was my grandma. My grandma was from Romania. My mom's Romanian. She had a third grade education. She, she never said anything derogatory about the Catholic Church. There were nights, brother, uh, in fights that I was in where all my friends left me and they had guns. And the reason that I'm still alive today and have a zero record is because of the praise of my grandma. My grandma lived in such a way that my aunt, who was a Franciscan mother and nun, said to my mom, if my grandma doesn't make heaven, no one will. So all the nuns loved her. They all sang with her. They all spoke with her, but they never shared their faith with her because they believed that she was living a far superior life to them. So why would they even talk to her? Which the indictment is against them. My grandma was ignorant of the teachings of the Catholic Church, and I believe that if she was alive today and I could speak to her, that she would run and embrace the teaching of the church. I never see my grandma commit a mortal or venial sin. I mean, she walked on water, bro. But I'm not using my grandma, even though I believe that somehow in her ignorance, God have mercy, and somehow she made heaven because I petitioned her many times. But I am not going to preach to anybody who's Protestant that you can have a hope of heaven when the Bible says even Catholics, it's few that are going to make it. Every person that I know that's Protestant, I want to bring them back or bring them to the Catholic faith. Because we know in the catechism that if somebody is ignorant and unknowing that there's a chance or an opportunity, but we don't want to live on chances and opportunity that are far and in between. We so, want to live on truth. Uh, agreed. So then how do you, do you have opportunities to talk to Protestants? And if so, how do you I do? You, you don't? You, you, or you do? I didn't hear. I do. I do. But you know, it was funny. When I was Protestant, I dealt with Jehovah Witness, Mormons, all the cult groups, okay? So I studied. So I, I know what they believe. And so, but since coming back to the faith, it's like almost, well, almost the majority of the people that I engage tell me I used to be Catholic. But then when they start talking to me, and it's not because I'm anything, bro, because I'm astounded that God gives me the time of day. I'm astounded that God brought me back. I, I still weep knowing that I am so worthy of hell and I turn my back on God and the things that I did, but somehow God saw something within me that was looking for truth and he never gave up on me. And that's another thing. I want to encourage people that have family members that have left the faith or in the Catholic faith, but not living the life, don't give up hope. Because if you would have looked at my life and you would have looked at the way that I was living, you would have said, that guy doesn't give a spit about God, the church, or anything. But there were nights that I went to the bar that everything would be in slow motion. And I would, I didn't know the scripture in Ecclesiastics, all is vanity. But I'm like, man, this is a waste. Three months from now, I'm gonna be in another bar. I'm gonna get in fights. If, if sleeping around and drinking and women is it, then how come the more I do it, the, the, the less fulfilled I feel? I, this, this isn't the answer. God was pulling my chain. 
And it got so bad that I never told you this, that I was going to the bars and running that when I went in for the last time to, you know, run around and do bad things, I've been in bars since to preach and I'm not against casual drinking. So I literally went in and I was going to throw up. I knew that if I went in, I'm going to throw up. God would not let me go back. So God was so patient with me all those years, all those years of running, looking, seeking. And he brought me back. And this is the thing that my grandma used to say to me. And I use it when I witness all the time. And I want to share it with you. People would tell me, well, I was raped by a Catholic priest or my mom died and I prayed to God and, and my mom didn't get healed or, or they just, I mean, some scenarios that are really bad. And so ended up what I say to them, if you were to look Jesus in the eyes like you're looking me, if you would see the piercing in his hands, you would see the piercing in his side when he could have given a nail for you and it was more than you deserve, but he gave his all for you. And this is what my grandma used to tell me and it used to haunt me. David, all your excuses are nothing but lies. And every excuse I had for living the way I live was nothing but a cop-out. And so I want to challenge all the people listening. If you're not serving God, you're not following the teaching of the Catholic Church, you're always going to have an excuse, but all your excuses are nothing but lies. And as I share this with people, 99% of them, no matter what they say to me, you can hear a pin drop. Because when you get a vision of what Jesus went through, and he was perfectly holy, perfectly God, and never deserved any punishment or any suffering, and, and was done wrong by people more than we could ever be done wrong, but he died for us, then what excuse can you give for not loving him and serving him? And this is when I preached, when I was Protestant, I preached where a lot of the TV preachers preach in schools. I would preach on suffering, picking up your cross, being martyred. All these were characteristics that the church teaches that stayed within me. And those kids would come up and weep and break and want God. And the reality is, if we don't give people a faith worth living and dying for, they won't follow it. I'm here to tell you that the Catholic faith is worth living and dying for. It's the faith that the apostles live. It's the faith that the church fathers live. It's the faith that many were willing to be martyred and lose all their possessions for the hope of the life to come. Yep. And like yep. I said, I hated the Catholic Church. And if you knew me prior, you would know that when somebody goes, oh, well, you know, like my wife now, Christina, I said, hey, I scored the highest scores you could score in religion. I was going to be a Catholic priest. I know the faith. I didn't know the faith. I didn't. But the reality is I thought I did. So when I engage these people, they always come about like say, man, I never met a Catholic like you, dude. Because when they start quoting scripture, I know exactly where they're going. I know the context. And I, and I can deal with the biblical languages. And they're like, they don't know what to say. And so the reality is, what I'm saying is, if we believe that we want heaven to be our home, then just like going on a vacation, you have to prepare to get there. And if you want heaven to be your home, then invest in good books and videos and, and good seminars and learn your faith, embrace your faith that you know that you're on the white road. Don't just listen to what somebody tells you, 
but seek out the truth. The Bible says in Isaiah, if you seek God with all your heart, you'll find him. And that's what brought me back to the faith. I always wanted truth. And it's horrible that I had to do all those years and go through all those different groups and listen to all those teachings to come back to what I had. Well, you, but I didn't know I had it. Well, you know, it's that funny. One of the most popular videos it's been popular for, I don't even know, five plus years is a gentleman who had an experience like you did where he went to, you went to a priest at one point and you said the priest didn't know the faith or he didn't know how to respond to you. Well, this gentleman went to a bishop and the bishop basically, long story short, he didn't have answers. He just kept saying, that's what we teach. That's what we teach. This guy went on to make a video that now has millions of views and he is, he, he clearly left the faith and continues to be away from the faith. And he kept referencing that story. But what you were saying is fascinating because here is a man that just said, okay, that guy didn't know the faith. And somewhere that meant that therefore that represented everything. That, in other words, that bishop is everyone in the Catholic faith, or that bishop stands for all the councils. He has all the te- he should have been able to tell me what truth was. So he left. But like you were saying, if you were to dig deep, which would mean going beyond one person, and this also ties to what you said about the one, you hear all these different stories, one priest said something that was offensive to someone and they leave the entire faith because of one priest. Well, same thing. One priest or one bishop doesn't know how to defend the faith. And if someone, whether they're looking for an out or not, that can cause them to be away forever. And I just find it fascinating because I've wanted, I engaged with this gentleman um, and other people have, and they said in all truth in all sincerity have you researched what it is that you were asking in the first place and i don't know i I have to pray for him again because it was just it was like a wall just came down for him in that moment and and he doesn't want to go back what was that does he believe now is he an atheist is he protestant well this is the this is the key he's a he will not affirm the label and many people will say this, they will not affirm the label Protestant. They are simply, it's just Bible-believing, Bible-believing, life-giving, you know, it's me and Jesus. But then I'd say, what church do you attend? And I wouldn't get an answer. And my reason to ask that type of question is not to get into a harsh debate. My point is to say that you are, like your point about you're following someone the theology that's found at that church, whether it's five people, 50 people, 500 people, those, the soteriology, the theology behind that movement can be traced to a person or a few people that are not of apostolic succession and have no tie to historic councils and have, you know what I mean? So it starts to fall apart. So that's why I think he doesn't Certain people don't want to answer that question because deep down they know, well, this is not sola scriptura. This is a tradition of interpreting scripture the way that my movement interpreted it. And therefore, um, 
I don't know, I guess the blinders are on and that's how I was for a long time. I just thought, okay, well, it's Sola Scriptura, um, but I didn't see how, I couldn't see that, that, that the very interpretation of scripture could be sliced or diced so many different ways. And if you don't have an authoritative figure to step in, even if you oppose the magisterium, you still have to realize that you have your own magisterium, whether it's up here or it's taught at your local church, there is a magisterium. They just don't say it. They don't claim we have the authority and yet they speak with authority and say, this is the belief and this is what is true. Um, if, if you're following all that. But the reality is the Bible says one faith, one Lord, one baptism. And the Bible tells us in John, that the spirit of truth will lead us into all truth. So my question is, if all these 33,000, 40,000 denominations and consistently growing, and they all say they have the truth and they can find the truth by themselves, then how come there's not a consistency within that truth across the board? So that truth, and if God is God, let's just use logic and reason and he has a faith, and he has a truth, and the Bible says he's the way, the truth, and the light, then there can't be, I mean, it's, it's the law of non-contradiction. It can't be true and false. It can't be right and wrong. Truth stands alone. So what people need to know is what that truth is and follow that truth. And I've seen every flaky kind of thing you can ever imagine in the Protestant movement, and these Pastors are like popes. Dude, I mean, if you come against them, God's going to strike you dead. You're going to lose all your money. You might get sick. You're going to fall away. They use all these tactics. And I saw the way that they lived. Some of them lived in mansions and had jets. And when I came out of school, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be one of those TV people. Oh, that was appealing I mean, at that time. Yeah. That was appealing at that time. Not just because of, but I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to be known. I was considered, you know, as far as debating, I was a great debater. Whether I was right or wrong, I was a great debater. But, and, and people, when I, I preached on college campuses for 20 years, and people would be like Mormons, Jehovah Witness, man, I got to convert you, dude, because I was passionate even though it was out of ignorance, but I love God, but I really didn't know the truth, but the truth that I knew, I walked in it as much as I could. Sure. And one time a Mormon said to me, he said, I don't believe anything you say, but I believe you believe it. So I tell people, Second Corinthians says, five, God was in Christ reconciling the word unto himself. Now Christ is in us. So when we share the truth, it, if I tell people, if there's not tears in your eyes, there should be tears in your voice. How can we share with people about the reality of hell and laugh? How can we share with people about the reality of heaven and, and not live as if we believe it? And when you look at the life of the saints, when they talked about hell, like St. Vincent Farrell is one of my favorite saints. Our, our, the priest at a parish, he had like a photographic memory, Father Wolf. And I mean, he knew so much church history and the saints that guy will forget more than I'll ever learn. And I can truthfully tell you this. If I spend eight hours a day and I could live another hundred years, this, the Catholic Church is so deep, 
I still would not scratch, scratch the surface. In Protestantism, if you know like some biblical languages, you know church history, some theology, you know uh, some stuff on mission, then pretty much you're set. But Catholicism is so vast, so much to learn, so beyond description that I mean, like my library, I used to know where all my books are when I was Protestant because there was only so many categories. Now I don't even know where all my books are because they're like a billion different categories and I only have five in this and two in that. So where am I going to put them? So sometimes I'm ordering new books and find out that I had that book already in my library and I forgot about it. I mean, the thing is, what, what I'm saying is we need to be hungry. If we have the fullness of faith and we do, then we should live in such a way and that's, what I want to teach people, to live such a radical life that when Protestants see your life, they go, man, I don't know about that Catholic faith. I don't know about some of the stuff they believe, but I look at them and there's something in them. There's a passion, there's a drive, there's a distinction. And whatever they got, I want that. And we have the fullness of faith. And it's a shame when there's people that are Protestant that are living at higher standards then, I mean, I was in a movement that didn't believe in birth control. I was in a movement that believed in head coverings as a Protestant. I, I mean, and living this thing, not watching this, not listening to that. So some people think every Protestant believes in a sinner's prayer, lives like hell. They don't. But that still was not the truth, was not the fullness of faith. God had mercy on me and brought me back. And I believe that if anybody out there is truly seeking and truly hungry, God will move heaven and earth and he'll bring somebody or he'll put literature or information in your path to bring you back to the Catholic Church. I believe now is the time for people to come back to Catholic Church. And you know and I know, when you look at the bishops, like 96% of it voted for Pelosi and Biden to still take communion, like 6%, 6 voted no, and 3-1 decided. That's awful. But that doesn't change the teaching of the Catholic Church. And there's something within you when you dig deep in the faith that, that no matter what happens, no matter who compromises, and this what I, and if everybody forsook the faith and they all preach heresy, I'm still going to look for truth and I want to live the faith. Not because I'm anything, dude, because I'm nothing. But I'm saying I'm here to follow truth. And the deception of the enemy is he sends people that are preaching heresy or things that are inconsistent with the teaching of the Catholic Church. And then a Protestant sees that and goes, see, I knew the Catholic Church was a whore Babylon. Wow, that dude says gay's okay. Don't listen to what that priest said. Listen to what scripture, manister, and tradition and I love the scriptures. I, I, I live in the scriptures. I, I'm consumed with the scriptures. I never understood the scriptures as well as I do now, coming back to the faith. Scriptures, like, you know, in, in John, where it talks about how Jesus gave the apostles the ability to forgive sin. Whose ever sins you remit yeah. will be remitted. Yeah. So you know how a Protestant interprets that? Well, if I don't go out there and evangelize, those people can end up in the devil's hell. So that really doesn't mean what it says. It just means I need to evangelize. But then they take others, literal. And then you go to John 6, 
when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Oh, no, that really doesn't mean that. That's symbolic. But if you go back and you study the Gnostics, the Gnostics were the ones that believed that the Eucharist was not really the blood and body of Christ. The Gnostics were the ones that believed that you could live a sinful lifestyle and still be okay on the inside. In, my, in the writings that I have of the early church fathers, one of the church fathers is debating a Gnostic. And brother, it sounds like he's debating a Calvinist. The same exact argument, the same exact belief system of, of Calvinism has its roots in Gnosticism. And the Protestants would tell you Gnosticism was wrong. And let me ask you, if the early church did not believe in transubstantiation, then why would they accuse of being cannibals? Why would they accuse of, of, of what they said and what they believed? You cannot go back and see anybody from the earliest church father that does not believe in transubstantiation. And that's enough to get you back to Catholic Church. I mean, go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say, we're just about at an hour, and I just wanted to... Um... There were several things that were said. Um, one was what you mentioned early on, I kind of brought it up, um, that there is always an opportunity if you, especially if you are humble in your approach to talk about the faith and not be afraid of the faith. And, the, and I've mentioned this before, when the, the more you learn about the faith, the more secure you can be when you're approaching people and you know all of us deal with this where you you get defensive or you get frustrated because someone doesn't understand you but everyone that listens whether they are currently protestant or they're catholic my um charge and i'm sure yours is the same is and you did mention it actually pray 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 because there's no way without the grace of god that you can engage in fruitful dialogue if you're not um, if you're not prayed up if you're not in that mindset where you have care for the person that you're talking to because this is ultimately how the saints I mean I'm reading a lot of saints writings and how they came across yeah there were the times where there was like sharp rebukes but that's that's um, when they, but, again, like when they did person. it, yeah. people could sense the love. Cor correct. The so there's still that the, exactly. But what I'm saying is when you're out in daily life and you're running into people, um, a sharp rebuke to a stranger is not necessarily the most fruitful yeah. thing. It's understanding where they came from, what they believed. And enough. I mean, I've run into this and it's uh, difficult to assume that someone has even any parallel to your life and that you, you assume you can talk to them as if they understand you. It's better to understand them and everything that you said um, about this passion, about this fire, about an ardent defense of the faith, but never, um, never with arrogance, never with pride, always with humility, always with reaffirming that we can do nothing apart from God's grace. So I've mentioned this before, even when you're saying, you know, read books, go to seminars, 
in any way, are you saying you're going to do these things by yourself and you're going to work your way into heaven? No, you're saying that a heart that is open will be open to pursue those things so that it can better do the Lord's work. And the Lord is the one that prompts all of it anyway. The Bible says, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you'll be filled. When you're hungry, God will fill you. I, I give you an analogy. I don't know if it's true or false, but I've heard it, you know, but the analogy is still good. There was a young man one time says, I'm hungry for God. So they said, go see the old man on the pier. So he sees the old man on the pier, says, I'm hungry for God. The old man jumps in the water and the young man goes after him. He, the old man grabs him by the nap of the neck and squeezes him underwater and holds him. And the young man's thinking, if I don't get this next breath, I'll die. And the old man let him up and says, when you become as hungry for God as you were for that breath, then God will fill you. And I think that that's really what it means to hunger and thirst after God, to realize that you're nothing, to realize that he's everything, because God uses humility, and to realize that, that if you go out on the line for God, there's times I'm witnessing to people and I use analogies or stories or pull out a scripture that I really, you know, yeah. even think about. Yeah. God will fill you with the words. And even if you don't know the answer, what caused me to know what I know about the faith was spending 20 years on college campuses, working with gangs and everybody in between. So I dealt with atheists, Mormon, just name the group. So I would read their books. I would understand what their mindset was. So when I engage them and I say something, I know what I say, how they hear it and, and how to refute it. So the reality is we have to love people enough at times to search that when we do go in and there were a lot of times I didn't know the answers, yeah. but it kept driving yeah. me back, study, learn. So even if you go out and somebody says something to you and you don't know the answer, you come back and go, I'll see what I can find out. I'll ask somebody, I'll ask my priest. And the more you do this, then the more you're going to know the answers that people want to know. And, and, and the more, then the stronger you'll be in your faith. I mean, we want to know truth because Jesus is truth. And Jesus and truth are inseparable. And, and the teachings of the Catholic Church will light you on fire. Okay, like St. Vincent Farrell. He had a photographic memory, if you ever read about him. When he was in his mother's womb, he left one time. A woman was either blind or deaf, and she was healed. Uh, one time, the bishop told him, because he said a ship's coming in, and they said the ship can never come in because there's a storm, and, and don't tell anybody God told you anything. A guy fell off a scaffolding, and he stopped him in midair and went back to the bishop and said, Hey, Bishop, what should I do? You said, don't help, bring him down. But what I love about St. Vincent Ferro, he had a photographic memory. He knew the teachings. He knew scripture to memory. He was fluent in Hebrew, Greek, Latin. He would go in the synagogue and he would win hundreds and thousands of people to the faith. And he even saw the dead raised. But this is what I love. He would teach on last things. And it said every time he taught, he wept. Yep. He wept. Yep. He had that compassion. He had that reality of, of the truth of the teaching of the church to God, that we would have men and women of God that saw heaven, not little, but, but 
were so hungry and so seeking that when they shared the truth, it would be undeniable because people would see that that passion is not your passion. As the scripture says, the zeal of the Lord is consuming. Paul was zealous, just like I was, but without knowledge. I didn't do it willfully, but God had mercy on me and brought me back. And now that zeal is even greater to see people to walk. And now my family, listen to this, that professes to be Catholic and called and lukewarm and don't go to Mass, said, I liked you better when you were Protestant. Because when I was Protestant, they could say the dude's a freak. Now that I'm back to Catholic, and now they see the way they're living, and, and I've had discussions, but I don't debate with them, because my dad grew up, he tells me if the wall's white, and they, I tell you it's black, it's black, because I told you it was black. So you can't win an argument with them. Well, let's, it's funny. Let's, <laughs> I leave you with this. When my dad had open heart surgery, the same guy that watches porn cusses tells me gay's okay. I should have lived with what my wife, Christina, now instead of getting married and all the rest. But when he was having open heart surgery, he quit cussing. He quit watching all the bad movies. He was open to listen about the faith. And... But after the surgery, he went back the same way. So see, my dad knows deep in his heart that he's not living the right way. But because when he thinks he's going to die, everything changes. I'm here to tell you that there's a so-called deathbed conversions. Some of them are sincere, but some of them, even Father Pio once said, there was a woman whose husband was extremely wicked and, and, and a cheater and, a, and just a whoremonger. And she was weeping and saying, oh, he went to confession or had his last rites. And Father Peel said he never got right with God. He was just scared of hell. He didn't care about the faith. And so the reality is don't think that you have time and, you know, maybe you have heart surgery and you'll get right. Get right now because tomorrow is not promised to you. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. I mean, there's no revolving door, brother. I, I mean, I've heard some people got allowed to come back. True or not, I don't know. But when you stand before God, if you don't get it right, then yeah. you can't go, can I take the test again? I mean, get it right now. Yeah. God yeah. will lead you into the truth. Yep. No, I was going to say, I want to also leave on that. Um, first of all, thank you. Thank you for your passion and your, ze- your, your zeal. Um, but I will leave people with the thought of, uh, St. Vincent Ferrer and the tears and the compassion for fellow brothers and sisters and those that are far from the faith, confused, they affirm a truth that changes the next day and then changes the next day. And so in the midst of all that, we've got to, uh, got to pray and, uh, God bless you. I'll pray for your family. I'll pray for, um, Every, everyone that you mentioned in the testimony as well. And everyone, thank you for watching always. Thank you for supporting. Thank you uh, for liking and subscribing, et cetera, et cetera. And until next time, uh, take care and God bless.